The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. The most ignored people in the world are the unsaved. Somehow this great deception has entered the entire world, probably every church fellowship in the world, and that is an assumption that people are saved. Because they love Jesus, they read the Bible, they talk Jesus, they practice Jesus, they honor Jesus, and everything about him. And Jesus made that statement very clear. You just saw a very short, sweet, not so sweet video on the fifth cup. For the bride of Christ, it did get emptied. We do not have to drink from that cup. But if you could just for a moment sit back and try to pretend that you were the enemy. And if you could put some kind of deception together that would shove as many people to make up that 90% so that they would have to stand before Jesus and hear those words that will shake the foundation of the universe. Be gone from me, for I know you not. But I casted out demons in your name. I preached in your name. I did miracles in your name. We're talking about church folks. We're talking about church folks that have dedicated their entire lives. Podcast listeners, listen carefully just because you've dedicated your entire life to ministry does not mean you will escape the fifth cup there is only one determining factor one factor alone and that is did Jesus pour his life into your vessel did you become a vessel of righteousness. And if you did not do that, if you do not have that, you'll drink from the fifth cup. You will be required to drink from that cup. Why is the unsaved world the most ignored people in the entire world? Because evangelism is gone. Growing people in grace is here. The age of grace is reaching its peak to where there's a sense of grace that literally washes away salvation. That's what is upon us. And the age of grace, as most of us theologians understand and realize by studying the, these scriptures, is that it will come to an end. 
And what most believers are not taking the opportunity to think about is, what's next? You will see evangelism come back in such a wind of force that most people will think it is not Jesus Christ. You are put here for only one reason. It is not to be a carpenter. It is not to be a welder. It is not to be a businessman. It is not to be a woman who is successful in becoming president. It is none of those things. You are here for one reason and one reason alone, and that is after you become a bridal member of Jesus Christ, You're to lead others to a very distinct moment of a pouring, a filling of the life of Christ. You forget that? You jump around in your little grace pews. Go ahead. Pour your grace over people like it's some kind of healing ointment. And you want to know something? This is the part that drives me crazy, online listener. Is you will get healing. There will be miracles. Demons will run and flee from anyone who uses the names of Jesus. And it's not you, listener, particularly my prosperity wealth listeners in some of the countries I dialogue with. It doesn't matter what you see and got recorded in your ministry. Because demons are required to run at the light and life of Jesus Christ, even if it comes out of a a mouth of a babe or out of... It doesn't matter. If the mountains are crying it out, if it's a beast that's crying it out, it doesn't matter. But what has the enemy done? Is he's deceived people to think that if ministry like that's coming out of me, I'm born again. I'm indwelt. All Satan wants to do is to get you to avoid those four cups. So you have to drink from the cup of wrath like he's going to have. It's a great deception. And I appreciate my brothers and sisters out there that stay focused on the single moment of fulfillment of the law in Christ Jesus to receive the law and character of God through a life. So that as the verse that we've been preaching on the past month is so the believer can establish the law. How often do you hear that preached? You don't. There's few that preach it. Because they're not understanding the four cups. They're clinging to just one of them. They're preaching just on deliverance. They're preaching just on on sacrifice. They're preaching just on, on redemption. It's all of them. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 through 29. Have you ever been in a church service where they handled communion like it was some kind of tradition? Where they let unbelievers drink from the cup, eat the bread, join the 90%. Is there anyone here, Nisser, if there is a listener at 602292, 2982. If there's a listener who has attended a fellowship where the preacher stopped and said, do not drink from this cup. 
and do not eat from this bread if you have not received the power and life of Jesus Christ. Do not drink this cup. I have never attended a service, and I have attended churches in countries around the world. It is handed out like it's candy, like it's some kind of tradition, like it's something you got to do on a monthly basis or every six months, or I do it annually because of the Passover traditions. There's no power in the sacraments. There's only power in the one who did the sacrificing. And we're to do this to remember that, not to use it as a whitewashing liquid in your dark tombs. So even the people here locally, if you do not know, you do not have the assurance of having the indwelling life of Jesus Christ, do not let your lips touch that bread or drink. Communion used to be used in the first centuries as a service of salvation. And that's gone. And now it's some kind of rote demonstration of what Jesus experienced. 602 292-2982, I do believe, because I know I heard the Lord back there in my office, that there's going to be salvations upon this message. Because they're realizing that they as pastors or teachers or students of the word or, or mere receivers of the word have been doing it because they've been trained to do it. Because their mommy does it. Their daddy does it. Their daddy's a preacher. Their friend does it. You're sitting next to someone in that communion service and you toss back that grape juice because the person you're with did it. That's what these scriptures are addressing. Do not do that. But since salvation message, since evangelism has almost been erased from the treasure map of indwelt Christian missions, Drink your cup. Someone please just refresh our minds what it says. If you drink from this cup, what's going to happen? If you're not indwelt and been sanctified and redeemed and, and made alive in Christ Jesus. What does it say? Well, when I, when I, I happen to take the scriptures literally, particularly if you have the ability to get in and dice it up in the Greek or the Hebrew, that will blow you away. Because it's immovable. It's not a translation that has whitewashed the tomb. It is immovable. This is Paul, who is the, who is one of the very first preachers of the indwelling life of Jesus Christ and identity in Jesus Christ. He's one of the very first preachers, but here he's the one saying, don't do this. Because if you do, you will drink from the fifth cup. And I know I'm going to get some text messages and I know I'm going to get some emails and maybe even a couple phone calls in regard to someone battling this with the movement of grace. Make your call, send your text, send your email because I'm not budging at all. 
The scriptures are clear. Either you're saved or you're not saved. Either you have the life of Christ or you don't. No man comes unto the Father through grace. No man comes unto the Father through seminary. No man comes unto the Father being raised in the church. No man comes unto the Father for any other passageway than what? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's the only way. 602-292-2982. Email me at drfinney at iomamerica.org. I want to hear from you. If you're selling Passover, or if you're used to using the term communion, you're selling it like it's some kind of thing you pick off of a shelf and you offer the people at a picnic. This is the moment where Jesus says, the only time Jesus ever said, do this in remembrance of me. Well, what does that mean? That he died on the cross, that he went into the tomb, he resurrected from the tomb. No, this is what he did for us so that we may have resurrection life. So that we may understand the sacrifice. We may understand the, the deliverance and the redemption and the fulfillment of God's law. We have all this living inside here. All of it. Every name, every confession, every piece of truth, every fulfilled law is living inside this mortal body. All of it because of one decision that you received the indwelling pouring of that blood that washed you as white as snow even though you choose to sin. It doesn't change the identity of the washing of the blood. It does not. You can keep adding color to that glass after it gets redeemed. And in due time, it'll be gone again. That's the power of the washing of Jesus' blood inside of our mortal bodies. So when we look at these questions... Passover... What is it, and how does it affect the indwelt believer? Well, very quickly, I'm going to walk you through the history, the Hebrew history of Passover. The word itself pretty much explains it in the Latin. Pass, dash, over. Passing over what? Do you remember? Now, why did they have to take the, the blood of a lamb, a sacrificial lamb, unblemished, and wipe it above the door. Because the Egyptians were clueless. They didn't know what it was. It wasn't going to stop them from going in there. 
What's the big deal? Those of you who are into the 70s series of Jack the Journey, you already know the answer to that question. But why? Now let's talk about the spookies of salvation. God the Father, the God of the universe, was going to release a spirit of darkness. And it was going to come in like a fog. And it was going to move through the streets. And it was going to kill, suffocate, suck the air out of the lungs of every firstborn male. including Pharaoh's son, including the Hebrew children. This was a release of God letting this cloud of oppression move through a community. I think the teachers that taught me how to take the scriptures seriously, because I think about these details every day of my life. And as that Evils came upon one of those doors. It was repelled by the blood and could not enter into that household. It was spiritual. It was not physical. We don't fight prince. We don't fight humans. We fight principalities of the air. That is told to us again in the New Testament. And we take this stuff like That's a cool passage. No, it's literal. And that evil had to pass over that door and move to the next one. And if there was blood above that door, it had to pass over and move to the next one. And that's why they were required to make sure if you believe that the God of the Hebrews is alive and well, you better put that blood above the door so that this evil will pass over it. That's Passover. And how does it affect the indwelt believer? This cup right here. This cup has... What's that say on there? got redemption. What's this cup got on it? Huh? And what's this cup say? All in one cup. You see, there's false teaching out there about Jesus in the night of that Last Supper, that communion time. He didn't do it the Western civilization style. He did all four cups. And when he got to this final cup, he says, do this in remembrance of me. But he had a similar 
preaching time with the disciples like I'm having with you. My objective, which I believe happens to be the Lord's objective, is for you not to leave this podcast, for you not to leave this building with a false understanding of the power of the Passover. Not to ever go back to this fake drinking from the cup because there's a commitment put with this and it is you will drink from the judgment cup. It's heavy duty stuff. It's real scripture. And I am amazed at the people that love battling me with scripture. Anytime someone uses the Lord to combat the Lord, I don't listen to them. I want them to be able to explain to me that passage, not justify their beliefs by another one. And that's what a lot of us do. We grab other verses to justify our morbid thinking, our new age, our emergent, our lukewarm thinking, because we can't handle judgment. We can't. It's too much. (coughs) So how does it affect the indwelt? Bad cops. Let's take a look at these four cups. Sacrifice, deliverance, redemption, and fulfillment. A handful of years ago, whether you believe this or not, it's okay. There's many that do. Most don't think it's that big a deal, so why do it? It was a big deal to me. I ask God what he refers to me in his kingdom. What is my name in your kingdom? Because my name here on earth is to identify my flesh body on earth. But what do you call me? So many years ago, I have it on my a cup that I have back on my desk. And it says, Stephen the Redeemed. Because God went through a very extensive process with me to understand these cups. And when I got to redemption, it, it, it penetrated an area of my mind and my life that brought transformation, even that the other cups didn't. To understand that looking at my past and how unredeeming it appeared to be, God wanted me to understand redemption. But see, I can't put my whole life around that one cup. It's all the cups. So let's break them down here a little bit. Passover considered by many to be the watershed event in Jewish history. The event. It is the oldest of the Jewish festivals. It was initially a very simple observance. Nothing too complicated about it. 
The origin elements were the matzah. This is matzah. Unleavened bread. Which was the symbol of flesh without sin. The lamb, which was the symbol of the Messiah. Blood, which was sacrifice, and bitter herbs, which were the the tears, the bitterness that they experienced when they were in bondage. The goal of this tradition was basically to pass this down from generation to generation because you got to remember something, guys. We did not have these to put under our armpits back then. The Jewish people were not walking around with the scriptures under their armpit. They didn't have libraries with translations in them, which now are 235, and most of them are as emergent as my lukewarm bathwater. They didn't have that. What they had was testimonies that were passed from generation to generation. You told these stories to your children and your grandchildren. And the children would look up at the patriarch of this family and they would be like in awe because he was the representative of the old covenant for their family. That day's gone. We kill our parents today, if you haven't noticed. We rebel against our parents in ways that are not even worth talking about. It's gone. It's lost. The storytelling is gone. And that's how it was passed from generation to generation to show God's faithfulness and keeping his word that every single one of these cups is leading up to a Messiah cup. Do you understand that? The whole Old Testament is leading up to one single Messiah cup. And so the enemy wanted these people to forget it. Just as he does today. These people were in bondage to Satan. Pharaoh is the Hebrew figure of Satan. I personally believe along with one of my favorite lady teachers, Beth Moore, believes that Satan possessed his body. I believe that. Not that it matters. They were required to adhere to this festival until the coming of the Messiah. Are the Jews still waiting for this Messiah? Yeah. Because in their mind, they're thinking of someone a little bit different than This Jesus, they're thinking of a king clothed with great honor and glory and power and strength and just kicking every nation in the rumpus if he had to to get full control over the entire Jewish world. Afraid that's not how it works because this is not where his kingdom is. So when Jesus came, he fulfilled the requirements of the tradition by becoming the bread of life, flesh without sin. He became the lamb, 
the final sacrifice, and became the bitter herb. He became sin on our behalf through representation of the cup of the blood of Passover. So listeners, listen very carefully. If you're going through the Jewish Passover stuff because it's cool to bring it back into the New Testament, you're lost. 602-292-2982. It is not honoring the traditions of Jewish festivals. He said, I fulfilled that. This will be your last time to have to go through this tradition. You will drink from one cup, and you will do this in remembrance of me. I'm just demonstrating for you tonight of how it's done. How God used it through history so that Jesus can say, I am the final sacrifice. If you want to remember the fine details of the old covenant Passover, that's very healthy. There's no power in it. There's only power in one cup now. Next slide, we see that for indwelled believers, Passover is not only a commemoration of the historical deliverance that our grandfathers were in bondage to to Egypt, but also that the foreshadow of our redemption from sin and death purchased through the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, In his final moments on earth, Yeshua observed the Passover, Jesus observed the Passover with his disciples one last time. It was a statement of fulfilling the old Passover. It was during this event that he, Jesus, fulfilled the final festival, old covenant traditions of the law, because he fulfilled the law. With this new beginning, he started a new do this in remembrance of me tradition to seal the old covenant and open the seal of the new covenant. You cannot believe in a God that has two seals open at one time. You have no clue what you're talking about. Closure, open. Closure, Open. Closure. Open. If you read the book of Revelation, you're going to find that to be exactly true. One seal at a time. He's a God of order. This was closed off and a new seal was opened of the new covenant. And this is what we call, obviously, communion. So, first cup is sacrifice. And I'd like to have us all recite. If It's on your piece of paper, or you can read it off the screen, whichever you prefer. Those uh, piece of paper, papers that you have is for you to have to uh, keep in your notebook that you might be keeping in regard to the sermons. So let's recite this. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, Savior, an indwelling life, who has chosen us out of all the people of the world, past, present, and future, and made us holy through your redemptive sacrifice. 
With love, you have given us commandments to follow by your fulfilled law in us. We thank you for your strong encouragement to celebrate our freedom and our deliverance through you. We accept the first cup as your sacrifice on the cross. So it would be like standing at the foot. Just remember what my favorite picture is of the scene of the cross. When Mary is kissing the feet of Jesus. Now I don't know where exactly that the team got the historical data for that movie, but there's a lot of accurate stuff in it. And the fact of her kissing her son's feet, and washing feet, kissing feet, taking your hair and wiping feet was the most defiling thing you possibly could do back during those times. And here his mother is kissing his filthy, dirty feet. And blood is running down his body onto his feet, onto his mother's hands, and she gets it all over her face. That's the picture that is in my mind with this. That's the moment of the cross. There's not full salvation in that moment. That is the first moment. My son is giving his life, shedding his blood as a living sacrifice, even for me as his mother. Once my son, now my Savior and God. Powerful moment. Another part of the original Passover was the washing of the hands. This is a cut-and-paste picture out of basically how much they honored this moment. Everything was plated with gold, dipped in gold. The wash basin. You remember what, what the, the governor did when he, before he announced Jesus' sentence? He washed his hands. This was a really big deal back then. It was to wash your hands of the guilt and condemnation of what you were about to do. Or have done. And the priests would have to wash their hands as a symbol of that. And this wash basin. And this is a symbolic act of purification in imitation of the priest who had to wash his hands in the, the laver provided by that purpose before he offered sacrifice or entered into the Holy of Holies. It was a moment of saying, I have been cleansed. Now I can go into the Holy of Holies. Today the high priest is Jesus. The water was turned into wine. Now that's accidental. Now see, there had to be this miraculous moment that God told his son Jesus to do at this wedding feast, which I don't think that's accidental either because we get one of those wedding feasts. And they ran out of wine. God literally waited until they ran out of wine. And they come to Jesus like he's some kind of vineyard or something. And said, what are we going to do? So he turns a glass or a container of water into a cup 
a container of wine. That was a very, very, very symbolic moment in the New Testament. The washing of the hands, just not going to do it anymore. You need to be cleansed, redeemed, made alive by the blood. And that's exactly what he provided for us. So after praying the sacrifice, he then ushered us into the Holy of Holies by ripping that veil right down the middle and inviting us into the Holy of Holies. Why? Because he had drank from all those cups and even drank, was about to, as he was explaining to the disciples, he was going to do this final act. And if you want to do something to remember all this, guys, it'd be that cup. The bitter herb was to remind the old covenant people of the bitter tear-filled time during their period of slavery and bondage to Egypt or Satan. With the new covenant, Jesus became that bitter herb by becoming sin on our behalf tasted death, and was made alive. So let's recite this together. We accept today your sacrificial gift of becoming sin on our behalf, eating from the bitter sting of death so that we may have abundant life. We embrace your indwelling life and choose to rest, trust, and continually yield to your life inside of us. We choose a lifestyle of walking after your indwelling spirit through a consistent yielding process within the mind, will, and emotions. And the first cup, as Mary stood there that day and kissed her son's feet and experienced the first cup as my son just gave his life as a living sacrifice. That's one of the moments that I would go back to if I could time warp, is to kiss his feet. Absolute, one of my most favorite moments of the full process that he took us through. And God showed me personally in prayer, because I am embracing that as such a real moment in my mind, it takes me to the second cup. The matzah bread of the Old Covenant people was a symbol of bread of affliction, which our forefathers ate in Egypt. It also stood for bread without yeast. Symbolizing flesh without sin. Now i got to ask you something. Was there sin inside Jesus' mortal body? you got to, people online cannot see your head. No. Why not? It's born of a woman. How does sin travel? To the seed of a man. 
The reason why you gals are sitting here with sin inside your body is because you had a daddy. Jesus had no sin inside of his body and it was planned that way from the beginning. And to avoid this problem of theology, which we argue about today, at least I do with some people, to avoid that conflict, God had to take his seed and put it inside Mary supernaturally, a miraculous conception with the seed of God that has no sin in it and never will. Contrary to Satan. And Jesus was born. Son of God. Son of man. Without an ounce. Without a speck. Of sin inside of his matzah. None. Now all he has to do is be pierced. Like the matzah bread. You think all these old details are accidental? God did told them to pierce the matzah bread on purpose because it was a symbol of the piercing of his son. When you hold this up and you look into the holes, I used to do that all the time. It's like, this is really cool. It was, it was strategic for God in his orders and the law of how they are to prepare this bread. Jesus himself had to be pierced. He had no sin in him. Yeast has always been a symbol of pride and arrogance. To puff up. To raise up. And the fact that God went the opposite way. Flattened. A nobody. Almost tasteless. Ugly. He was unbecoming in appearance. That's called ugly. This is ugly bread. Now, I, I eat it, and I like to eat it, but I like to put hummus on it to give it some taste. That all is not accidental. So Jesus became the bread of life and asked us to eat of his body in remembrance of him, offering his body as a living sacrifice, broken offered up for mankind, and he was pierced like the matzah and stripped and bruised and was without sin or yeast. So when we take the matzah and we break it and we crumble it, it's for the pure purpose of communicating the brokenness he had to go through, the whippings, the, the, the abuse that we can't even possibly imagine is what he had to go through. Do you think all these people for all these hundreds of years through the Old Testament were thinking of Jesus having his body broken and being beaten by them? Being tortured by them? His own people crucified him. They, their high priest stood at the foot of the cross shaking their fists saying, get yourself off the cross, you Messiah, you king of kings. His own people, his own forefathers put him on the cross. 
And you think they understood what their matzah bread was about? That's called being stupid. Yes, it's a Hebrew word. It means knowing the truth, but not knowing how to live it. Is stupidity. One as a goat. Stupid is as a goat. Now, Jesus became this matzah. And it was planned that way. Absolutely beautiful, beautiful story. Now, I shared with you earlier about the cups. The living water of Jesus Christ, the power of the cross. Of course, this cup that is stained by sin that is in you that is not in, that, that is not you. And this cup here that I hold up before you is stained. And I would love to have someone try to take the sin out of their mortal body. Got to be some technique in DNA analysis. Somewhere man's brilliant mind could come up with how to get sin out of their mortal body. It's not going to happen. It is permanently stained and that's why it will lay in a casket. And it'll match the stain of the earth and the sin that is in the earth. But here's the beauty. Christ has come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll give you true redemption through my sacrifice, through my deliverance, through my redemption. In fact, I'll take care of fulfilling all the law that my Father requires of you. Can you imagine having the screws put to you on try to get the sin out of this mortal body? I think like that. Probably shouldn't, but I do. There is no science ever to be used to get sin out of a mortal body. And it was set up that way so this moment can happen. In my right hand, I hold living water. In my left hand, I hold a cup that has got stained water in it. By the time I'm done with the sermon today, miraculously speaking, there will be no more stain. It will be a slow process because there's going to be a working out of the salvation of this stain. But as Jesus poured himself into our lives, in the beginning, it is still kind of hard to tell if there's been true transformation that has occurred. But after a period of years, some people get it in a period of hours. Some people get it in a period of weeks or, or months. Others seem to need a whole lifetime of sanctification in order to bring redemption. And others don't even care. I do. When I think of the indwelling life of Jesus Christ that is inside me, I think of the cup. I've been teaching, practicing, preaching this illustration for many, many years because that's how I think. And he is the only one that can provide purification in our lives. And that blood 
is cleansing and it completely removes the identity of the stain. That's why we, most of us here like the movie, the the, uh, music video we helped put together for Mercy Me, Flawless. Where they actually filmed it backwards. But that's the message. No matter if you're handicapped, no matter if you practice sin occasionally or all the time or or you just murdered someone, you are flawless. This is how God the Father looks at you. He looks at you because of being filled with the living water, even though that stain remains remotely. God the Father sees a clean glass of water that can be drank. And that's what he wants to do for you, is to drink from the living water your own life. Christ in you. It's not going to church. It's not reading your Bible, which will probably get taken from you someday. It's none of those things. Drink from the living water that's in you. Daily, moment by moment. Don't tell me the exchange life doesn't matter. Don't tell me the identity matters doesn't matter. It's everything. You are that cup. That's who you are. That's who God sees. He doesn't see the stains anymore. He sees flawless because of Christ's cup. Second cup is deliverance. Let's recite this. Yes, we have enough. It is enough that you rescued us from Satan in his bonds of slavery. Yes, it is enough that you brought us through the sea of salvation and stood us upon the solid ground of our indwelling life. Yes, it is enough that you meet our every need in our times of doubt and despair. Yes, it is enough that you provide for us spiritually, psychologically, and physically. Yes, it is enough that you continue to give us living water of life in our times of great spiritual thirst. When you get up tomorrow morning, take a sip. Because your deliverance is in drinking the living water that is inside you already. Don't pray for something he already gave you. Just do it. People who pray for things that God works so laboriously to give to you free and you're praying and praying and praying for things God says, I've already given you this. Drink it. Now we have to labor to find out why we are not submitting to God and we write books endlessly. We write books and do whatever to try to figure out why we can't live this. Just drink every day of deliverance. 
Third cup. The third cup traditionally has been a cup of celebration for the freedom that comes from God and his deliverance for his people who were held in captivity of Satan or Pharaoh. This cup was mandated after the people stepped foot on dry land after the parting of the Red Sea. Well, that certainly is no surprise at all. The stuff that God does and puts into place that you think are accidental, like Moses striking the rock, that is the Hebrew symbol of Jesus being struck by his own people. Now, if that doesn't mess with your mind a little bit, maybe you should go and think about that. Moses, a great leader, a priest for the Hebrews, took the staff, which is the Old Testament symbol of the Holy Spirit. That's why no flesh could touch the water. No flesh could do these miracles, only the stick. It was the Old Testament representation of the Holy Spirit. And he he touched the water and the water parted. And here the people are whining and complaining because they didn't have anything to drink. And Moses got frustrated and tired and he, he spoke to the rock like God told him to speak to the rock, which is the rock of our salvation. It was Jesus Christ. But he didn't wait long enough, did he? And he took the Holy Spirit and struck Christ. And because of that decision, could someone please tell me what the consequences were for Moses. He couldn't go into the promised land, which is the symbol of the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. So did Moses experience the indwelling? No. Satan argues with Michael the archangel, Jude chapter 1, the only chapter actually, But Satan still argues with Michael the archangel about Moses. It's still a great mystery, but we all know where he's at. He's not in hell, or Satan wouldn't be battling it. Because that was such a significant moment in the Old Testament of Moses striking Christ with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a little bit blasphemous? It was there for the day those high priests struck Jesus with their religion. Let's read this together. O Lord our God, Savior, Husband, we desire to give you thanks for all of your good gifts in freedom. You purchase for us, which comes through you sacrificing your life on the cross and then placing your life within the true believer by the representation of the Holy Spirit. We pray that you will give us continual strength to release your life in and through us. You are redeemed. Redeemed means what I showed you with the cup. To go from the stained water to 
clean water opens the door for you to drink redemption. So for me to go through my Christian my Christian life walking in redemption, I would have to understand the indwelling. And I understand redemption. You don't measure redemption by behavior. You measure redemption by cleansing. Final cup. Fulfillment. Fourth cup was and is a symbol of the fulfillment of the works of God by way of his sacrifice, deliverance, redemption, and fulfilling his promise of bringing his people into the promised land. This journey started in Egypt, unsaved, through the Red Sea, salvation, into the wilderness, working out the flesh. That's that process of going from that one color to purification. Across the Jordan River, which is identification in Christ, and into the promised land, which is the exchanged life. Still, there were battles. There are still choices of sin in the promised land. It's not what it's about. So let's recite this together. Dear Jesus, blessed are you, King of kings, Lord of lords, for your sacrificial redemptive act of fulfilling the law and measuring up to the character of your Father. For we were not able to do this. We now drink from the third cup and eat from the bread of life in the remembrance of you and all that you did on our behalf. It actually should be the fourth cup. So hopefully I remember to change that before we get it posted. So... What I want us to do is if you know or have a pretty good assurance that you have the indwelling life of Christ. You have, you have gone from the stained water to a redeemed, purified life. Know this. You can take from the communion cup, whether it is this cup or cups in the future. Because you are confessing your indwelling. That's what's happening. You're confessing that Jesus did this. You're confessing that Jesus did this. You're confessing that Jesus did this. This is the result of all that. And you are simply doing this in remembrance. It has no power in it. When you dip the bread into it and eat it, it has no power. There's no transformational work of you taking communion. It is a confession to our husband, our savior, our king, and our Lord that I believe, that I know, that I am living water. And that is hard for people to believe when they choose to sin. When I choose to sin or you choose to sin. It's hard to believe we get all fogged up. But I know how God looks at you. Flawless. So just take a piece of bread, if you feel so led, and dip it into the cup. And go ahead and partake or eat. 
Father, we thank you for showing up as matzah, flesh without sin, and literally flattening out and piercing your own body, which is your son, and then literally taking that body and drenching it in the blood of life. We accept it in Jesus' name. If the Hebrew coding is correct, and from that Hebrew coding, there's codes inside Hebrew. If you even go and look at some of the lessons that are out there online or whatever about learning the language of Hebrew, every letter has a number attached to it. And if you translate out words into this original Hebrew, you actually get codings. And I will leave it at that because some people have taken that idea too far. But when it comes to tithing, this is where it comes from. 90% stays in the world. 10% comes under the storehouse of heaven. New Testament-wise, Jesus oftentimes spoke, keeping the numeric coding intact. Thus, I personally believe at 602-292-2982 that the percentages is 90% of the entire humans that were born will have to drink from this cup. 10%, the few, the road to this cup is wide and many are on it. I believe it's 90% completely aligns with Hebrew codes. And 10% is the cream of the crop. That's what you skim off and you give to the Lord. That's why we were joking about 2% milk earlier. That is a biblical concept. So we don't know who's in the 90. We don't. So we have to pray for everyone. We have to share what we have learned tonight or what you've learned in the past about this with everyone. The love of God has been cast to everyone, all humans. It's just that God happens to know the future. And he pretty much knows who snubs him and goes, no, not today. That's what this fifth cup is about. So yes, Jesus did drink from it and empty it out for the bride of Christ. True. But this cup is still real. It's alive, it's well, and it's waiting. And every person that cannot reflect the image of Christ when they come up to the table, they will be required to drink from this cup. And if you don't think that's not literal, then you don't understand the literal God that I believe in. These cups are real to God. He went through a lot of work to put them in place. And that cup, drink from it now. And then they'll have to get on their knees and call Jesus the Son of God. Even Satan himself will approach that table. And he'll have to drink from that cup. And it'll burn like hell. And that's where this scripture comes from. If you got the mark and the reflection of Satan, of Pharaoh, 
still on your forehead or on your hand, you will drink from this cup. 602-292-2982. I will even show you, lead you to Jesus Christ if there's no one to help you. Or you can just simply get on your face and pray any words that come to your mind because it doesn't take anything but three seconds. I was wrong. And you are the Son of God. I'd pray a whole lot more if I was you, but that would cover it. Here's our identity matter statement for today. Communion, the term is used to define the unity and unblock fellowship the true indwell believer has with the life of Christ with, from within. Now this is going to blow your mind, you Baptist people. And I'm speaking to myself because my background is Baptist. I've been Southern Baptist, Northern Baptist, Eastern Baptist, American Baptist. I've kind of went to them all and been baptized by most, most of them. But I'm here to tell you something very simple. Don't ever forget this. In your moment of choosing to sin, you are in perfect fellowship with the living God. When you are sinning, you are in perfect fellowship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is not going to stop having fellowship with Jesus because you chose to sin. The dynamic of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit is going to continue to be in perfect communion even when you sin. But you can make the choice to join in on that fellowship. But identity in Christ people, most of them already know this. That you do not, your sin does not affect the communion of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit inside your mortal body. Your behavior doesn't control the Holy Spirit and doesn't block the Holy Spirit from enjoying Jesus. And God the Father's still going to look at you like that because of Jesus. Now you find that hard to believe, you don't know your identity in Christ. So choosing to sin while you're, you are looked at in purity and flawlessness takes someone who understands who they are in Christ. The last day I take a living breath will be a day with sin inside of my mortal body and probably chose to sin on that day. But that's not what my daddy sees. That's not what Abba sees. And for a human to think that they could do something to affect the fellowship of the Trinity is pure Godship. There is a prayer in the PDF if you want to pray it. If you need, you're the kind of person that kind of needs the words to look at and pray over. It's a doctrinally clear salvation prayer. Many have used it. 
But I remind you, there's no power in the prayer. There's no power in the words. It's just a doctrinal guide to show you what you're admitting to. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at iomamerica.org. That's iomamerica.org.